0: Welcome to Warehouse. We're glad you're here today. My name is Kurt. Let me set the day up this way. We're in a series where we're looking at the parables of Jesus. Parables are a specific kind of story, and it's helpful to know what the genre is if you want to know what the story is about. The genre of a parable works this way. The word actually means like to throw a ball alongside of. So if you could imagine that you were standing in the middle of a road and you threw a ball straight and true... It would run along the length of the road. And so the same way as a parable runs along the length or straight alongside of some other reality, the great danger in a parable is to take the parable literally. You need to have eyes that can see and you need to have ears that can hear what's not written. It takes a unique kind of imagination to really discern in a parable what's going on there. So Jesus said he, re- he told parables because he wanted to hide the meaning of the parable from those who didn't have ears and he wanted to make it available to those who did and so if you have ears then the opportunity today is to hear what god would say and um this parable in particular that we're going to look at is one i think i've misunderstood most of my life and what happened to me this week is through a series of conversations um it came alive for me and and i'm an old guy so that's that's saying something that i can still come alive um Yeah, this week for me, I knew this talk was coming and nothing kind of came to me. And then in the last couple days, there was this rush of awareness of what God wanted us to hear. So I'm really excited about that. This parable is about the need for approval in our lives. And you might, when you first glance at it, think it's about a lot of other things, but it's really about the necessity of approval in our lives. The band is going to do this great song called Invisible right now. It's a terrific song I heard it in the first service. It fits the day perfect. It's about the experience of not having approval and not having acceptance. This is a lament. So what I want you to do as they play is to put your place, yourself in the place of the words and make this your lament and make yourself sense what it's like to be invisible. Welcome to our house. Sometimes, um, sometimes we take things too literally, and that might sound funny coming from the stage of a place or a church where uh, we purport to help people to trans- have their lives transformed by uh, the biblical truth of God. But um, some things can be taken too literally. And I'm going to show you that, I think, today. I hope that's my, 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 that's one of my, my big objective is really to help you to have eyes to hear, see and ears to hear. Um, and being tremendously literal often gets in the way of that. I'm going to read a parable from uh, Luke's gospel, uh, his biography. Luke was uh, someone who wrote a biography about Jesus. And he wrote his biography for a Greek audience. He did not write it for a Jewish audience. He tells us specifically why he wrote it. He's a very transparent writer. He tells us he wrote his, his biographies. He wrote two about the church so that, so that people would know beyond the, beyond the shadow of a doubt That Jesus was the Christ, which is to mean that Jesus is really the Savior of the world and and, and only hope and only salvation can be found in Jesus. That's why he wrote it. Um, So we're going to look at that. Here's what I want you to do when I read it. I want you to, there's going to be a word in here that's going to jump right out. I'm going to show you in a minute, and it's going to make you think you're off the hook. Because you're going to think, I'm not a very religious person, and this parable is about religiosity and about religious people. You're going to think, I'm irreligious or I'm not religious, I'm a spiritual person. And if you do that, it's too bad for you because really this parable is about approval and our need for it. And if it's about approval, then it is about everybody in this room because the only people that do not need approval are sociopaths and very evil people. And I don't believe that any of you probably fall into those categories. So um, this is a, a, a parable that really has... Applicability for all of our lives, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, wherever we are, this is is for you. So, here is the parable of Jesus found in Luke. Jesus says this He says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He, he wouldn't even look up into heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said that this man, the second man, rather than the first, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I want to unpack a few words in here just to make this become start to become a little bit clearer to make you see how the ball is thrown down the center of the road here and see that the direction that the parable is taking. The first one is this. That word righteousness up there, that is a big hang-up in our culture because when we use the word righteous, we tend to use it either as kind of a, as a funny word or as something that we don't really approve of. At the very best, it's a mostly a meaningless word because we're not really a culture that really desires okay righteousness. Frankly, it's just something that we don't value very much. But, but what if righteousness... Meant something, what if I could tell you what righteousness meant? I guess I should say. What if I told you something about righteousness, about what it meant? Would you keep your mind open and your ears open to hear maybe why it might have applicability? Righteousness here, we can scratch through that word, and in its place, we can put the word goodness. To some who were confident of their own goodness. Now, the language for this is, you know, I'm hoping that if if Bill is talking about me to folks, someone that doesn't know me, I'm hoping that Bill will say, you know, Kurt, the main thing you need, you need to know about Kurt is he's a good person. In our culture, we value Kurt. We we value goodness. We don't value Kurt so much. Um, we value goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. We value goodness. We, we goodness and we don't value piety and that's okay because piety has all kinds of trappings you could make piety into a kind of idol, idol something that you would worship and it would lead into all kinds of perversity and crazy stuff just like having an idol of money but in this case we really idolize or we really value goodness so what if i told you that jesus said to some who were confident of their own goodness and looked but this is funny and looked down on everyone else What if I told you that that word righteousness really just means approved or accepted or desired or loved to some who were confident that they were to be loved, to some who were confident that they were acceptable. That that really is for all of us then, right? You know, the lyrics in the song earlier, show how all of us are sort of alternately behaving going back and forth because we're trying to gain approval we don't want to be invisible and so we behave in one of two ways and i want to this is kind of a model for the rest of the talks you need to grip this the two ways that we're behaving trying to get to be approved or be good or righteous the ways we're doing that are by performing or by rebelling and i'm just going to put this out that they're both traps they're both equal traps there's not like one that's better than the other performers are people who seek to achieve in order to escape invisibility and gain the approval of others. In the song, it was, Every day I try to look my best, even though inside I'm such a mess, why do I feel invisible? Trying to look good, trying to be beautiful, trying to be strong, trying to be something more than somebody else. That is at the essence of a performer. Performers will overachieve at anything. They will overachieve at work. They'll overachieve in their activities in school. They'll overachieve in their grades. They'll overachieve in their families. They'll be the best father. They'll be the best soccer coach. They'll be the best at everything that they can be because if there's another person around, what they want is to get their approval and they will do all they can to extract that approval out of another human being. They'll break even the silliest of rules in order to gain that approval. And this is a true story. And it's really, it's really a funny story. I had this friend years ago. Hang on a second. Okay. I had this friend years ago, um, and we used, to, we used to golf some together. And this is so crazy. This guy, was a, it was, he's a CPA. He's a very funny guy, the funniest person I knew in my life at that time. Everybody loved him. I'm not going to say his name is because it might get back to him, but he even had a funny name. So if he does hear this, he knows who I'm, I'm talking about him. He was just this great guy everybody loved him we're out golfing one day you know and we're like on a on a i don't know like a like on a hole and i don't remember the the hole exactly let's say it was a par four and and you know we get back in the cart and i say so you know what was scored he says four i'm like what i'm I'm like doing the math in my head i'm like okay one off the tee i'm thinking really are you sure it was just four yeah it it was four i'm like okay got it so we go to the next hole it's a par five he hits it, you know, a lot. And then we get in the cart and I say, so what was that one? And he says, five. I say, really? Really five. Okay, there was the one from the tee that, that went, you know, onto the rough on the right side, and then you hit it back across on the other side. You got lucky, you got over the water and you put you put it three times. And he's like, Oh yeah, okay, it was seven. And I was <laughs> He was an accountant, but he could not count his shots uh, on the course. <laughs> it's the silly so, why was he doing that? approval he was afraid to say he was a seven when the five was the par that's it's silly he had our love but you know this desire for approval it made him into a cheat in the parable in the parable i want us to get something else here this pharisee that stands for the performer he is really a good man now we hear Paris, we hear pharisee because we have enough religious training to think that anybody that has the word Pharisee is a shady person in the Bible, and that's just not true. Pharisees were good people. For sure, there were a few Pharisees who sought to have Jesus crucified, and they betrayed him. They were part of the betrayal that happened. But for the most part, these were people that if you looked at them, you would respect them. You would say, they're a good person. This man is not really a hypocrite. In that day, people appreciated And desire to have this kind of piety he doesn't rob that you know the law taught not to rob so he he didn't rob it it taught you know not to be an adulterer he didn't do adultery you know your wife would always or your spouse would always think that adultery was wrong so in this way he's respectful so in order to understand this character you you need to understand let's let's put him bring him into our age let's try to imagine this is somebody that you would respect not, not this character from 2,000 years ago. Let's get some people, some people maybe in the room with us that we can respect. And so let's think of a couple. Let's imagine a woman who's kind. She does all kinds of things for other people. She does yoga. She drives a Prius. She sorts her trash so they make sure it's green, it's in the right place, in the right bin. And she listens to NPR, all things considered. <laughs> yeah maybe he's uh, someone who has his own business he's made it on his own strength and his own will he's a great father he's a soccer coach you know and he's voting for romney maybe that won't gain your respect some folks at wilson want. maybe you know she's a homeschooling mom she's bright she's cheer- cheerful she's putting in the effort He's there to help all the other ladies, all the other families to really make the effort. This is really a good person. Maybe he's your coach. Maybe he's quick to help others. Volunteers at church. Stands on a stage like this one. These are respectable people. That's what he stands for in this parable. We all know that person. He's a performer. There's another person here, and it's the tax collector. Task collector stands for the rebel. And to get the ceiling of what a rebel really is, you know, it's that in that song, it's the person who says, you know, I take these pills, um, I take I take these pills to make me thin. I mean, it's the person that lives out. My sister was this person that lived out in my life when I was younger. My brother and I were both performers in different ways. And so my sister had this experience where she just really wanted to have her own identity. And she found it very hard to find her own identity because she was coming in the shadow of Kevin and Kurt. She went to her first day of biology school. She sat in front of Mr. In Mr. Searle's class. And as he went through the, the list of people there, he said, Kathy Graves. And she said, here. And he said, Oh, are you Kevin and Kurt Graves, sister? And she says, Yes, but I'm not smart like them. <laughs> She's smarter. <laughs> But she was going to be the master of her fate, and so she really didn't like to be stuck behind us. Now, here, the tax collector, the problem is when you hear a tax collector, the worst you can say about a tax collector, and if you are an IRS agent, I apologize, the worst thing I can say about you is you're a bureaucrat. And, and so that doesn't get it. When Jesus told this parable, Judea was under occupation, military occupation, and and the land was being the money from the land was being extracted, and the and the and the wealth of the land was being taken back to Rome, and so the Roman government, the Roman soldiers, used tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, traitors, treasonous people, to collect the taxes, who and they used unscrupulous methods to extract taxes on behalf of the Romans. The comparison today is somebody who is an American that goes to a Taliban camp to train as a terrorist. So Jesus is saying in this parable that there are two people praying. One is a Taliban American, and the other person is your soccer coach. And they're both coming before God. And that is the parable. This is really different maybe than we've gotten in the past, right? There's two things that I think that are going to be helpful for us, or three things, excuse me, they are going to be helpful for us to summarize this point so we can kind of get the parable to this point. The first is to realize that we are all going back and forth in reality at different times in our life, in our day. We might be a rebel at one moment, and we might be acting like a performer in the other. The second one is this. Both these folks, the tendency when you're living like this is to separate. So if you are a religious person, the thing you'll do is you'll pull yourself away from non-religious people because you'll be afraid that they're going to contaminate you and the person who is, you know, the, uh, the rebel, they're going to, you know, hang with their friends that are rebels and they're going to pull away from the respectable people. That's the tendency. The third thing is this that I want you to see. This will help you. I want you to get the image of some this respectable person that you know. And I want you to put them in your head. And now right next to them, I want you to put in your head the image of an American Taliban. And I want you to let that sit there. Because if Jesus was going to sit down with you over this week to tell you the story over coffee, those are the characters he would use to tell you the story. Here's what's funny, I think, in a not funny way. Both the performer and the rebel are acting the way they are in order to gain approval and become the masters of their own eternity, their own fate. It's just true without any doubt that we are all taking different routes for our own independence. All of those routes are going to lead to the same place but we're taking different routes to get there, and it's independence. I'm not, I'm not going to put a big bust on the need for approval. It would be really easy here to just say, don't be an approval junkie, but you know what? You are hardwired for approval. God created you with the desire for approval and acceptance. You cannot escape this. If you try to escape this need, you will not be human. You'll be, you'll be something different. I'm not sure what. It won't be good. You will not escape this desire. Adam and Eve in the opening pages of the Bible are described as being naked and ashamed before each other and before God. They were completely transparent. They swam in a sea of approval the way that whales splash about and play in the ocean. It was just that abundant. That kind of approval and that kind of love, that is what every one of us in this room were designed for. But we're living as rebels, and we're living as performers. Now, we're going to take a look at a, at a movie clip from, the, from a movie called The Fisher King. And In this movie, there's a character called Lydia. And Lydia has, uh, has been burned so many times in her life that now she's just a callous and hard woman. And what I want you to see from this movie is that no matter how hard and how callous you are, no matter how great of a performer you are or how great of a rebel you are, that love, the power of love, can crack through the power of love can change us it can bring our even the hardest hearts back to life so take a look at lydia
1: you don't have to say that
2: i never say anything i have to
1: no i mean you don't have to say nice things to me it's a little old-fashioned considering what we're about to do
2: what are we about to do
1: you're walking me home
2: mm-hmm.
1: i think you're a little attracted to me
2: yeah
1: and you'll probably want to come upstairs for some coffee.
2: I don't drink coffee.
1: And we'll probably have a drink and talk and get to know each other a little bit better, get comfortable. And then you'll, you'll sleep over. And in the morning, you'll awake. And you'll be distant. And you won't be able to stay for breakfast. Maybe just a cup of coffee.
2: I don't drink coffee.
1: And then we'll exchange phone numbers. And you'll leave. And never call. And I'll go to work and I'll feel so good for the first hour and then Ever so slowly, I'll turn into a piece of dirt. I don't know why I'm putting myself through this. It was really nice to meet you. Night.
2: Wait, just, hey,
1: just, sorry, wait, one minute, hey, excuse me, please, wait, wait. No, listen, I'm not feeling very well. Oh, no wonder,
2: we just met, made love and broke up, all in the space of 30 seconds. And I don't remember having the first kiss, which I think is the best part.
1: Listen, it was so very special to meet you. And it was and for me, a, too, but I think it's time you should shut up now. Would...
2: Shut up, Please. I'm not coming up to your apartment. That was never my intention. Oh,
1: God, you don't want to.
2: Oh, no, I want to. But I don't want just one night. I have a confession I have to make to you.
1: You're married? No. You're divorced? No. You you have a disease? No, please stop.
2: I'm in love with you. not just from tonight i've known you for a long time i know that you come out from work at noon every day and you fight your way out that door and then you get pushed back in and three seconds later you come back out again and i i walk with you to lunch and i know if it's a good day if you stop and get that romance novel at that bookstore i know what you order and i know on wednesdays you go to that Timson parlor and i know that you get a jawbreaker before you go back into work And I know you hate your job, and you don't have many friends, and... I know sometimes you feel a little uncoordinated, and you don't feel as wonderful as everybody else, and... feeling as alone and separate as you feel you are, and... I love you. I love you. (laughs) And I think you're the greatest thing since Spice Racks. And I'd be knocked out several times. If I could just have that first kiss, and I won't. I won't be distant. I'll come back in the morning, and I'll call you if you let me. But I still don't drink coffee.
1: You can
2: call me. She didn't give me the number.
0: (laughs) You're real, aren't you? When we can't um, access approval in our lives, when we can't get acceptance, when we uh, take a dose of real heavy rejection particularly if it's from somebody that's nearby, somebody that's really in close where they can deliver a wound that's going to really be meaningful, a a parent, uh, a spouse, uh, someone that we really love, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a sibling, your best friend. When that that kind of rejection, when that kind of uh, betrayal comes, uh, we're going to respond. We're going to become calloused. Uh, We might become burned out. We might be addicted. We might be grumpy you might even be grumpy even when we're doing good we may have this feeling that we're put upon we might be a terrific father but we're just tired of everybody depending on us for everything we make the whole world run you, know, you could you could be a a woman who runs a, a whole office and and do a terrific job of it but feel like you know you just wish the place would run without you that that's that's a sign of somebody who's suffered rejection and not not sensing approval You'd become resistant to compliments. It's just amazing to me in this scene the deafness that the writer has to write in this. She's absolutely Lydia's absolutely unable to hear anything that he is saying. I don't like coffee. He had to say it twice to get her to hear it. He had to tell her twice that all he wanted was a kiss. He just wanted a good night kiss. He he was tell, he he wasn't trying to use her. He 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 wasn't married. He wasn't. All these stories were running around in her head. She couldn't hear. She couldn't hear, I love you. You can take on a victim mentality. You may want intimacy but find it almost impossible to risk to do it. You'll have a slow, a low self-esteem. Maybe you'll be arrogant because arrogant people very often are living out loud so, so loud so people will leave them alone and not call them because there's these soft places where they can be reached and they can be hurt and so they're arrogant to try to defend against them. You become cheating. You'll become an infidel an exaggerated performance mentality. Am I naming you? Because I've named myself three or four times. And even if I'm all of those things, and nobody is all of those things, even if I'm all of those things, God comes to us and says, I'm not looking for perfection. I just love you. That's it. And that can break it wide open. I want to be careful to uh, point out something very difficult in this passage. And that is that there's a performer and there's a, a rebel. And ultimately, one of them ends in a personal apocalypse, and it is the performer. And so the performer is in a much more dangerous place than the rebel, it turns out. How can we tell the difference? We really want to bring a scalpel, if you will, to our lives and say, who am I? You know, when am I really acting like the performer? Because this is really the dangerous place to be is the performer. And you can see it in their prayers. Here's here's what it is. When the performer, when the Pharisee prays, he starts by saying, God, I thank you. And then what comes after that is just the weirdest prayer that's ever in Scripture. Uh, he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. He goes on to talk about all the things that he's done for himself. It would be as though I said to... It would be just like if I, I said to Kathy, I said, thank you, honey. God, I thank you for my wife. I thank you that I got... I made my own meals. I thank you that, uh, you know, I did all this stuff by myself i would just be building myself up it's a weird thing that is not gratitude that is not thankfulness that is self-aggrandizement he's doing something else here that's really interesting the thing about robbing and or thieving and adultering and being an evildoer all that stuff is out is, is against the judaic law and that's good also in Judaic law, there's this idea that we would, people would tithe. They'd give a tenth of all the, everything that they, they, they gained, and they would give it, to, give it to God, and that's the tenth. That's the tithe that's in there, and he did that. But this thing about, about fasting, this is a fast one. He says, I fast twice, and it's a fast on a fast. So watch this. I did not get this. this. I got this from Tim Keller, who says the deal is, in the Judaic law, you're required to fast once a year, not twice a week. And so what is he doing he is taking an absolutely neutral thing, and actually a good thing, and he's elevating it to a level of an ultimate thing. And when he elevates it to the ultimate thing, he says, and I am doing it, and no one else is. I am better than everyone else. And we do that in a lot of different ways. And We may not like to hear it. If you're not careful, and you're, you're someone who calls warehouse your spiritual home, you will think that you are better because you have better art, because we have more creative people because our form of worship is different and better than other churches somehow. You will think that your politics are, some, are better than other folks. You'll think that you're kinder and gentler, or you'll think that you're smarter and more aware of the, of, uh, of the realities of the eco- economy in the long term, or you'll just think that everybody's wrong and you're just smarter and your candidate is the right way to go. But you'll become incredibly unloving, and, and that's what this person has become. This is the difference, is the way that they pray. The performer is saying, not only will I keep the rules, I'll keep them better than everybody else. The ta- he's comparing himself, right? He's comparing himself to everybody else. The, t- the tax collector is doing something completely different. He looks up to heaven, and he beats his breast, and he says, God, have mercy on me. The tax collector is only comparing himself to God. The t- What he's really saying, I'm going to say it the way he really says it. Really what he says, if you translate it right across, is God, have mercy on me, the sinner. The article is the, not a. Because in a relationship between us and God, when we look at that relationship, we are the sinner. He looks at God and he sees that God is not just holy and perfect and that he's the sinner, But he sees that God is also infinitely full of love and kindness towards him. It is kindness that leads to repentance and not justice, not being right in the way we think of being right. He sees God fully as this person who's holy and truly good and truly loving towards him. And then when he does that, when he makes that change, Only when we do the same will we lay down our performance mentality, will we lay down our white flags as rebels, and will we accept this ocean of grace, this ocean of goodness. It is absolutely infinite. That's the only way it can come in and flood us. Now, most of us in the room, I don't care if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. I'm going to put it out there that most of us in this room have not experienced that kind of flood in our lives, and it's because we have not experienced this moment of beating our breasts. You've you got to go down before you can come up, and I had this friend, he's been a, almost a lifelong friend, who this week told me this story, and um, I never knew this about my friend. I've been, I'm one of his best friends, I think, but I never knew this. He told me this story about how um, he became, and, and, and we, I've known each other for you know, since we were teens, he told me that um, he had this abandonment, if you will, by his father, without giving you too many details, when he was young. He give me you this detail. His father left his mother and him and to go be with another woman and another family. And so I never knew my friend was an orphan. It uh, went much worse after that before it got better. But he he had this hole in his heart of this abandonment, this and rejection. He hadn't come to terms with that for years. He was an absolute performer. He did so many things great. He's the kind of guy that you know when we were uh, high schoolers, you know, like if we were guys, we, he was the kind of guy that people would ho- after the football game they would hold on their. This is not an exaggeration. They would put up on put him up on their shoulders and people would cheer for him. You know, women if it was medieval times would have written songs about him and they would have sang them. It was he was just this kind of wonderful, wonderful person. He's funny smart and he when he went to college got involved in a campus ministry you know and he just made disciples that was the language and he led bible studies and he witnessed two times and he memorized scriptures he did all that stuff and as he exited college he realized ah there's a hole here somewhere i'm doing all these things but i am not satiated i am not sensing my life is real it's not whole he was lacking approval if you would he went out very educated, has made a big impact in some different parts of the world. He's a great, been a terrific businessman. He's been a great father by any measure. He's done really great things, and yet this hole would not go away, and it got heavier and heavier and heavier until one day he came into his house and there was nobody there. And he said it was as though when he walked in the door, he had just got hit by a middle linebacker just head on. And it just set him back. And he was, got his bell rung and he couldn't think and he was in a funk. He felt like there was a heavy weight on his chest and he couldn't breathe. And he went down to his bedroom. He laid down his bedroom. And when he laid down, he began t- to come to grips with the reality that he was an orphan that he had been rejected and unapproved by his father and he began to cry and it's the only the kind of cry you know that comes not from here it comes from down here somewhere not the kind of cry that happens in 10 minutes and you're done the kind of cry that goes on for three hours the kind of cry that left him with his muscles in pain for days afterwards as he laid on the bed in absolute anguish, he said, you know, there's a the kind of physical pain we have when we work out. It's nothing like that. It was, it was, I thought my heart would explode. I thought I was going to die. As he laid on his bed, God spoke. He heard God speak to him. And God said, this is the pain of rejection. This is what it's like to be unapproved. And as he laid there, he felt him, Christ say, And I felt that all in one moment, billions and billions times more. And he just wept. And he realized for the first time, he'd been a Christian for a really long time, he realized for the first time after beating his breast, he was really loved. He just felt this flood of love come in, no shame. No pain, no anguish, just God's acceptance of him flowing in. Rightness, righteousness, approval, goodness, acceptability. It occurs to me that there's really just two kinds of folks in the world based off his story. There are folks that that are living as orphans. And all of us have been orphans. All of us have lacked the approval that we were created to swim in. And there are folks that have been orphans and have found that they're adopted. They've accepted their adoption to a Father who truly loves them, to a Father that gives them all the acceptance and all the approval they could ever want. The brightness, the goodness, the approval that we desire so deeply is only available through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who was perfectly acceptable and perfectly approved, became our unrighteousness, offered himself on a cross, and died in our exchange and because he died and he was, went into death and he remained there and then he was resurrected, God raised him in power and seated him alongside him. And God a pre- put a stamp of approval on him. And if we will identify ourselves with him, we have that same approval, what Christians call righteousness. The one who was entirely perfect and approved became unapproved on our behalf. In order to get that, Jesus has these final words if we want that. If we want that kind of acceptance, experience, to really experience it, all those who would exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who would humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. God, thank you for your parables. Thank you um, that they help us to see our reality but we got to dig sometimes to get them. God, thank you that you are full of approval. Your yes is towards us. Thank you that in the person of Jesus you make that available. In your son's name we pray, amen. If you have received that kind of approval, then it's natural for you to show gratitude.